0: Good afternoon. This is Bakes, Kevin Baker from Bakes Takes. Welcome to my podcast. This is Easter Sunday. Happy Easter to you and yours. I hope you are doing well in this uh, trying time. And uh, I wanted to take a step quickly back, if you're new to the show, and tell you what I do and why I do this. First, the why. Uh, My sons are 23 and 21 I've been doing this informally for two years or so. A lot of their friends who were in business courses in college would uh, call me up and ask me different uh, markets and investing and and uh, uh, financial psychology questions. And uh, I tried to. And now I'm formalizing it, and uh, I hope you find it useful. I go through and. Um, uh, read the Wall Street Journal every day. I found out that my sons and and uh, their friends weren't, and these are business majors. And um, uh, I also read the Economist uh, cover to cover, Barron's cover to cover every single week go very in-depth into a number of investing and financial topics. And I've become um, a fan of many podcasts that I think add tremendous value. And the podcast format, as I hope this does, allows us to go into depth and um, scrutiny that uh, shorter form media won't let you do. So uh, that's what I do and why I do it. And uh, let's get into it. Uh, Macro Voices by Eric Townsend and uh, Patrick Serezna. Uh, I think I'm saying that correctly. Uh, forgive me, Patrick, if I'm not. They have a wonderful podcast, Macro Voices. Um, Eric runs a hedge fund. Uh, Patrick runs uh, an, an investing service, which I recommend you check out. And uh, they really go into the weeds on topics, and I mean that in a positive way. Uh, but uh, for the average investor, it's probably uh, uh, not necessary, so what I like to do is uh, re- I, li- I listen to the whole podcast, and then I'll refer you to points in their podcast and others so that you can go to the, the stretches that I mentioned and uh, make your own decision about going back and, and reviewing the whole thing and-, and-, and subscribing, so hopefully this is win-win-win for everybody. Uh, this past week, the Eric had Dr. Pippa Melmgren on, who is a very, very bright lady. Uh, and she discusses at six minutes, inflation's eventual return. And most people say, "What are you talking about? Inflation? Oil is is you know been cut in half. Uh, demand is is disintegrating. People are losing their jobs. Where's inflation? And the key word is is eventual. But she makes some some compelling points. The supply chain efficiencies that kept. Uh, inflation at bay is uh, uh is falling apart uh you know people are not going to be producing in China as cheaply and uh we're realizing that just in time isn't uh, uh as infallible as, as it once was viewed, and so some inflationary forces are going to be rebuilt into into the system. Technology advancements, maybe they've gone about as far as they can go, and those deflationary forces are uh, are now abating, and money printing is going on right now as we speak. The Fed is buying everything in sight, which means uh, they're injecting dollars into the system, and eventually they're going to go after more goods and services, and uh, inflation is uh, I would say likely down the road. When? Don't know. But to those that say there's no inflation now, uh, in the journal the very next day, there was an article uh, talking about egg prices increased 229% in March to over 3 bucks a dozen. So uh, it can happen and does happen, and it might be uh, episodic and, and anecdotal like that, but if we, if it spreads to to other commodities then it um it could be very interesting and then at 25 minutes uh she talks about uh you know what's going to change from our way of, of working remotely and what have you and her view is uh, that rigid Zoning and property approval restrictions are probably going to be lessening over time, and more multi use properties where uh, there 's residential on on one uh, section, an urban farm on another, a grocery store perhaps on the first floor and I think it 's fascinating and i 've got a number of good friends in in real estate, both uh, development and and uh, brokerage. And uh, I'd love to hear from you if you see that on the ground in any way and examples that uh, I could share with everybody. Um, James Altucher is the next podcast that I uh, I feature. Uh, it's one of my favorites consistently, very, very good. Uh, uh, James is a hedge fund manager, uh, an entrepreneur, runs an investment service. Uh, owns a piece of a comedy club in New York, a, a very successful author and a fascinating uh, individual, chess master, the list goes on and on and on. And I just like him. Never met him, but I like him. And he interviewed Dr. Huberman, uh, Andrew Huberman, and he is a Stanford professor and a psychologist, I believe. Um, but And this is a little bit off of our normal subject matter, but times are not normal, And I thought this might be helpful, especially to our our listeners in New York, but uh, in New York City and elsewhere. Uh, James is based in in New York and and, um, self describes that he goes in about a one to two block radius from his home and found this technique useful. At around 23 minutes, Dr. Huberman talks about putting down your screen and defocusing your eyes and taking in a panoramic view of the horizon as far as you can and as often as you can. And James talked about being a block and a half from the Hudson River, and he's never walked down to look at the horizon. And uh, there's a lot of scientific evidence, uh, obviously, number one, that we stare at screens a lot and more than I thought. And then number two, that this practice of of uh fighting claustrophobia and taking in the bigger picture literally is uh is very helpful and meaningful for stress reduction so if that's helpful to you let me know if this kind of thing is not uh, what you come here for that's fine um but anything that i think is helpful and useful that i encounter in my in my work i'm going to pass along at an hour nine minutes uh he discusses getting as much sunlight in your eyes during the day as you can, and not light, sunlight and so either staring outside or or gazing outside um, and, and being outside, obviously, if you can do it is great, but getting as much sunlight in your eyes as possible during the day, which promotes sleep in in his work, and the converse at at, a, at an hour fourteen avoid bright lights. And especially computer screens During the night And we've all done it uh, A lot But for better sleep He also mentions a breathing technique Taking two inhales Through the nose for two seconds And exhaling through the mouth Eliminating carbon dioxide for six seconds And uh, in a game of inches I'm going to try everything that, that, that works To make me feel better about the world And in keeping with that uh, as I've mentioned in the past, uh, I play guitar. I don't play as well as Brian May of Queen, but he's gracious enough to get on social media uh, and and teach uh, garage band guitarists like me how to play songs like "Keep Yourself Alive." And I think it's fabulous and gracious, and a uh, uh, it just makes me smile every time I uh, I turn it on because he's an absolute genius in my opinion. Just the fact that he built his own guitar, I think, is incredible. I'd, I'd have a better chance of taking out my own appendix. Uh, Oaktree Capital is run by Howard Marks, and he is a very revered, uh, distressed uh, credit investor, uh, a billionaire, very thoughtful. Uh, uh, Warren Buffett, who I almost never invoke, reads his note uh, faithfully, so I'm going to, too. Uh, And he talks in this past week about we have to consider our situation, quote, in the context of unprecedented uncertainty and the total absence of guidance from analogies to the past. And I think it's a helpful admission. As soon as we see this craziness that goes on, both in terms of the virus and in terms of the economic impact and then the financial impact, and those are all three different things, which is good to know as well, Uh, we all try to grasp and look at a historical precedent that we can say, okay, it's going to be like this, it's going to be like 08, it's going to be like 87, and uh, as as I mentioned in my September uh, talk last year, that's on my YouTube channel, we've not seen this before. We've not seen an 11-year bull market. We haven't seen interest rates get cut in half in a year. We haven't seen $17 trillion in negative uh, yielding debt. So uh, the fact that we don't have this in the Mo- in the Monte Carlo simulations means, this is me, not Howard, own a little more gold, own a little more stock, and just be aware that there is no certainty. It does not exist, and there is no perfect historical uh, uh, comparison to be made and, and proceed accordingly. Uh, some other great Howardisms, uh, but no one can tell you this is the time to buy. Nobody knows, and that sure as heck includes me. Uh, again, from Howard, as I put it, all great investments begin in discomfort. One thing we know is that there's great discomfort today. I mentioned last week that phasing in over two to three years might make some sense, on your birthday, so that you 're in essence giving yourself a present um, and getting yourself up to an equity allocation that fits the long term and i 'm talking let 's say going from fifty to sixty percent, something like that, nothing dramatic uh, because you can 't time this perfectly, and my reasoning is that that the the worst bear market was was twenty nine to thirty two took three years. And coming in over that kind of a time frame makes as much sense as anything, even though that analogy isn't, isn't perfect either. And um, that every time you make that investment, the more nauseous you feel, probably the better you will do. And I, I think that is the, the case. Uh, it's been my case in the past. Um, the invested goal should be make a large number of good buys, not just a few perfect ones. And truer words were never said. To insist on buying only at bottoms and selling only at tops would be paralyzing. And it is. And it's impossible. But at least admitting that is is half the battle. Um, Again from Howard. Clearly this process is one of gradual readjustment. Not a matter of all or nothing. It shouldn't be the goal to do this only at bottoms and tops. Which is why I talk about that three year phasing and and not making an all-or-nothing decision. Um, He also uh, quotes Doug Cass, uh, a money manager, when the time comes to buy you won't want to and that's true and and that's that's happened in the past. Uh, Sometimes I've worked through that well, sometimes I haven't but um, everybody says oh I want a correction to to buy Walmart at lower prices and then it comes and you think the world's coming to an end so you don't do it. Uh, it's not easy to buy when the news is terrible, prices are collapsing, and it's impossible to have an idea where the bottom lies. But doing so should be the investor's great aspiration. Enough said. Uh, markets rarely clear after one massive decline. This is important, I think. In fifteen-year bear markets since fifteen bear markets since nineteen fifty, only one did not see the initial major low tested within three months in all other cases the bottom has been tested once or twice since news flow in this crisis will likely only worsen before it improves a repeat seems likely so we went up for 11 years from march of 09 to march of this year Um, we peaked in february so 11 years ish and it's been two months, and we had the sharpest decline, down 34% and down, uh, in down in 33 days. That's the fastest and, and uh, the greatest percentage decline. The thought that we're going to remake all that up in two months and it's all going to be done, I think, is is highly unlikely, highly unlikely. And he has the numbers here in the show notes to, that I put to um, to back that up. And here's another interesting perspective. From his colleague at Oak Tree, Wayne Dahl. Um, it took only mid May '07, or almost seven years, for the stock market to regain the September 2000 highs. And it took until March 2013, or five and a half years, to regain the highs of October 07. The bottom line for me, Howard, is that I'm not at all troubled saying that A, Markets may well be considerably lower sometime in the coming months. And B, we're buying today when we find good value. I don't find these statements inconsistent. And I hope that's uh, that's helpful. And, and And please check the show notes for his full note. And um, But again, what I try to do is go to what I view as highlights and um, make the process as efficient for you as I possibly can. From Barron's this week... The cover and several articles highlight the best week since 1974, perhaps implying, and I'm not saying this is their intent, a bottom, um, uh, The a week is irrelevant, in my opinion, especially after going down 34% in 33 days, and, um, and that's uh, seconded by Al Root, who wrote a great article, and points out a number of great things this is my extrapolation though given the 74 time frame that is that is being pointed to 7374 the, the it was a bear market took two years took prices down about by half and this is two months and so I hope I provide a little bit of a horror, historical context given my gray hair and battle scars. But uh, this is my fourth bear, and to think that it's over in two months, I, I would say follow uh, what Barons put on the front cover, proceed with caution, and then I wrote down, indeed. Uh, the Economist this week, in the briefing article, uh, has two great charts, and I recommend, I put these in the show notes as well, but um, many may not know that the United States became the number one oil producer back in 2018. And uh, Russia is number two, and Saudi Arabia is number three right now. And I was surprised by the, the second and third place. Um, but there's another one that, that puts the 100-year the history of oil in context. And it goes from roughly being, I'm eyeballing this year, you know, $10, give or take, in the depression, where obviously demand was crushed, up through the Arab oil embargo in seventy-three, four, that sent prices up to sixty. The Iran-Iraq war, which brought it over to a hundred, back in nineteen eighty, and then the, the the disinflation that happened with oil coming down all the way to to two thousand. Then the Asian financial crisis, the global financial crisis. And um, uh, a, a peak that happened back in 2012-13 at $148. And, um, and then obviously with COVID-19 and demand evaporating, we're here at 24 and change depending on the day. Uh, and what I'm struck by is that we are within $10, $15 of 100-year lows. And the fact that the, the stocks are hated and oil, the commodity, is hated, I get excited because at some point there's something that's going to happen that gives us reasons to own uh, many ETFs that embrace oil and oil services. And I want to keep swapping ideas with you folks back and forth so we're best prepared for that. Uh, we're not there yet, but uh, according to Daniel Jurgen. Historian and vice chairman of IHS Market, nothing like this has ever happened before, and uh, Mr. Jurgen has seen just about all of it. Uh, uh, energy was the worst-performing sector in the S and P in four of the past six years. That has to be some kind of a record. Citigroup says the global supply needs to fall by a hundred million barrels a day, twelve percent of the total, for tanks not to spill over. Prices in parts of the world may fall below ten dollars. Says Goldman Sachs, or turn negative, as producers pay to have their oil taken away rather than shut in wells. It takes a lot of time and money to shut in a well, and so most producers are loath to do it. Uh, Russia is in a position of relative strength; it can balance its budget with oil at forty-two dollars a barrel. Saudi Arabia has low operating costs of just three twenty a barrel, about one third of America's, according to Rystad Energy, a consultancy. That sounds really low to me, our cost uh, being only $10 or so, but so be it. Uh, But Saudi Arabia still needs $84 a barrel to finance its budget. Uh, Other producers look more vulnerable. Iran, Venezuela, Iraq, Libya, Algeria. All of these places have suffered political unrest, substantially so, violence, and war is likely in um, in these regions at some point to disrupt supply. Obviously, completely unpredictable, but I think that's the way to be poised to position. Again, I'm not um, uh, long any of the energy names at this point in time. Uh, Damien Corvallon, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, at Goldman Sachs shut-in wells will depend as much on logistics as on production costs are we about to see a structural change in cons- consumption it's a very valid question i agree um i think we are the form and and the duration is what are the stories uh i really want to make this as interactive as possible i'd love to have A Q&A section uh, at this point in time over time so i ask you um uh, uh, especially if you're a younger person, my son's age or or, get, or thereabouts, to, to simply fire away questions and I'll uh, answer them as best I can. And I'll tell you when I don't know anything and I'll go find the answer. Uh, I really enjoy uh, teaching, coaching studying the markets and i hope i add value so please send an email to k baker at bakerresearchgroup.com please subscribe to the bakes takes podcast on apple spotify stitcher wherever you get your podcast please subscribe a review to not only the podcast but my youtube channel and uh, follow us on twitter at bakes takes underscore you can send me questions there as well and uh again in this um, era of madness happy easter to you and yours and i will talk to you next week take care now Bye bye